Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Matt Harmon, and today I'll be continuing previewing the 2022 uh, NFL Draft with various guests uh, that I've been waiting to talk to, been excited to talk to. This guest specifically fits that mold because I'm always excited to talk to Matt Waldman in the month of April. As I said, joining me today is indeed the author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio himself, Football Guys Senior Writer. Matt Waldman, what's going on, man? Hey, Matt, it's always a pleasure for us to get to reconvene and do this. So I'm excited. I'm always pumped up for April. You know, the work's done. Now it's time to get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, your work is done. My work is almost done. So I'm still kind of like rounding out the last few guys of the draft class. So um, I'll, I'll still be kind of sharpening these takes as we talk today. So I'm excited uh, to kind of go back and forth on this. And on that note, I'm going to just skip. Like, there's no real news to talk about except, like, you know, businessy off-field stuff. D- guess what? Dan Snyder, uh, still a scumbag. So there's your news of the day. We can keep it moving. Let's get right to the draft stuff. Matt Waldman, for the folks out there who are living under a rock, who are not a part of um, your section of the fantasy football industry, if they're just clowns that haven't figured this out yet, tell people what exactly is the rookie scouting portfolio and all of the great work that goes into it. Sure. You know, the RSP has been around since 2006. It is the most comprehensive look at the skill positions that's available. And it's what I call a a fantasy appeal, but football approved publication. There are two publications out there that you will see, at least according to recruiting directors like Alex Brown, who's the head of recruiting for SMU, who says when he meets with scouts and personnel people in the NFL on a weekly basis or really on a daily basis, the two draft guides that he sees from independent scouts that are purchased the most by NFL people are Dane Brugler's beast and Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. So there's my, that's got to feel pretty good to say. (laughs) It does feel good to say, you know, so, and it's, you know, it's my only third person take you'll ever hear me give, but, um, but the, uh, (laughs) but it is something I've been doing since 2006. And what I do is I take you through a process that I've developed based in my past life, doing a lot of operations management work on, on really best practices, techniques on how to evaluate talent. And I, I take you through that process where you get, not only do you get cheat sheets and tiered rankings and you get overrated and underrated players and extensive scouting reports, but you also see how I construct my evaluation process, how I define things, how everything's laid out. So I'm taking a very subjective thing and turn it into an objectified process where everything's weighted and measured and defined. And and then I take you through that in as entertaining of a way as I can through a bookmark PDF that shows you how these guys rank in, in various ways, two different types of rankings on how they're graded. So you got get an idea of where they are, are and how they can improve. And then you get a post draft with it that comes with um, a tiered cheat sheet that it, right after the draft that basically gives you like a sweet spot. It shows you my rankings versus where ADP is for a lot of dynasty leagues. So say if I had Nick Chubb over Saquon Barkley and people thought I was nuts, and I'd say, yeah, I might be nuts, <laughs> Shout but out I to really, you. but I like that. <laughs> and I'm going to, but I'm not going to tell you to draft the dude over number one overall. Right. I'm going to tell you, you can get him in the middle of the second round. And this mm-hmm. is the sweet spot of where you can get him at the latest. And that helps you kind of parse out the difference between my outlier takes and where you can reasonably get him. And then you get a newsletter along with it. It's for $21.95. And, um, 
You can get it at mountwaldman.com. And I donate a percentage of that to an organization called Darkness to Light up to $5,000 every year. And we've raised over $50,000 in the past 10 years to Darkness to Light, which is an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children through education of individuals, communities, business organizations, universities. Um, Allie Rossman is a spokeswoman for the organization. And, you know, I'm real proud that we, we get to donate to them. Yeah, I think that's an awesome. Uh, the last note, obviously, there, obviously, there is awesome. You know that you do that every single year. I, I love you bring up the the Nick Chubb comparison because I think that's what's so fascinating. And like talking about any sort of dynasty fantasy football, you know, for those who don't play and are just interested to hear about rookies, like maybe this is you know something you're not familiar with, but like everything there, it does, it is like asset trading is like a dirty way of saying it right but like like as you said you know you don't just because you like Nick Chubb better than Saquon Barkley doesn't mean you got to go and take the guy first because you know if you get Saquon Barkley then you want to flip him after the draft like you know you could do all kinds of straight crazy stuff like that and I like taking that strategic approach and that's what's so beautiful about the post-draft part of your work is that yeah I mean there might be you know obviously we know that if a wide receiver goes to a place with a trash quarterback but your second you know wide receiver goes to a place you know where he's the to Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, like that very well might happen this year. You know, those things can flip. We know that obviously, but there's so much that goes into it, um, not just in the post-draft uh, work, but obviously in the pre-draft work. So that the, the comprehensive part of studying rookies, you know, th- this is an unmatched, obviously, uh, portfolio that you put together. But it, it is such like a, I think more and more about like how we study rookies, how we talk about rookies and how we translate them to the NFL. There's just a, so much there that we can get into. Oh, without a doubt. And that's, it's an endless thing when it comes to about scouting talent. And a lot of the fantasy community has, you know, worked their way into trying to learn about and beginning to learn about scouting talent. And it's one of those things that it really is a very process driven thing. That's one of the things that I admire most about your work, Matt, with reception perception is because you do take something that is subjective and try to objectify it as well. So that at least people understand they have a barometer for what you're looking at. You're not changing with the weather because of some trend. If everyone's saying that, you know, Traylon Burks is the next Debo Samuel, Um, you can talk about why that is or isn't, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but you know, they will know where you stand about how you view the position and they can either go against it in a calculated fashion and win or lose, or they can go with it, but they know what they get as opposed to someone who may be studying and they go and they don't have a process to really hone and refine and that's what i think is most important because when you look at the nfl's grading scale i joke that their grading scale is really rooted in in the it's still back in the day of the invention of the wheel but the the square wheel not the round one um (laughs) and you know in terms of if you were looking at what is actually a a good process without a lot of variation there's great scouts but their system is for for, is awful i'll just put it that way because i don't want to i don't know what i can say here or not (laughs) <laughs> totally. I, I, get, I totally get that. I love I love the Debo Samuel thing, too. I'll just touch on that really quickly, because I think, you know, Charles Robinson, and I talked about this on UPod to win the game uh, recently last week. And I thought afterwards, like, it is pretty hilarious that, you know, November, everybody's like, man, Debo Samuel, one of one player. Nobody could do what he's doing right now. And then, like, come draft season, like, you know, this guy could be the next. It's like, it's so exhausting. Draft coverage can really be exhausting. But that's why I love to just kind of hone in on the player evaluation part of it. And, you know, I'm going to ask you a lot about your rankings uh, on this show. But you also do a great job in the RSP talking about why rankings, you know, can suck uh, for lack of a better word there and you know but we want them anyway so l- just before we dive into specific positions specific players um, kind of talk me through your overall thought about like ranking guys one to ten which obviously can leave a lot of uh, room for nuance yeah I mean I I joke all the time I do tons of rankings at football guys I rank stuff at the, at the rookie scouting portfolio in eight or nine different ways and in, in every chapter category I have why rankings suck but we want them <laughs> anyway because <laughs> I hate rankings it's a faulty categorization of talent because see every position in football has subcategories and wide receivers and running backs they all have different roles based on offensive system or you wouldn't put 
you know, Drew Brees in the same system that Josh Allen is playing in and expect the same results or the same way about how they go about doing it. And Cooper Cup's role is very different from Tyree Kills. So, you know, and Deshaun Jackson's way different than Michael Thomas. You know, Russell Wilson might perform well in New England's offense, but if you ask Tom Brady to run a zone read and scramble, you know, in Denver, probably not. Probably not going to be great. Exactly. But you can, it's fun to debate. You know, but the players, all the players we mentioned, just they all have value. But so a linear ranking doesn't have an accurate portrayal of their value. So I prefer tiers because they group players who are close in skill set. But it shouldn't matter to you whether Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or Josh Allen are in our numbers one, two and three on analysis for as much as what tier they're in, because you really what you're looking for like wide receiver it's three different maybe really even four different positions in one mm, yeah you know when you talk you know s- slot flanker split in and then the juju smith shoes there's michael thomas hybrid and then you could probably get into a fourth one if you want to go with like the guy who can play running back danny woodhead type of wide receiver s yeah. running back who goes out there and they you know in some situations they could be thousand yard talents who give you top 15 fantasy production and then there's like 25 other teams that they probably wouldn't even be the number three receiver yeah i think the lines are blurred so much more at receiver than any other position and any other point uh at in football history really it feels like at least to me and you know specifically like you mentioned like I, I used to say this all the time with, uh, you know, like Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, when those guys were both popping off together with the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's like, get out of here if you're like, well, yeah, Juju's better than Antonio Brown. At this point. It's like, these guys might as well be playing two different positions, you know? And same thing with like, you know, a combination of a guy like even, this isn't quite as drastic, but like Adam Thielen's role when he was really popping off with the Vikings was very different than Stefan Diggs' role. And sometimes that meshes with different quarterbacks. We see, you know, quarterbacks will change teams or wide receivers will change teams, go to new quarterbacks, and that really unlocks them. Not necessarily because, like, oh, this quarterback is better than the other, but stylistically, quarterbacks have styles. They prefer wide receivers that are different styles. So this all, like... It, it's very apparent on the NFL field on Sunday if you kind of know what you're looking at. But then when it trickles down to the rookie scouting process, that's where it gets really fascinating because these guys are if they're all all these guys are in the same tier, but one lands with just a, some place that's going to kind of misuse him or or whatever. That's where it can get pretty hairy, even if you really, really like the prospect. Yeah. And I have two quick points I want to make about this. And, and one is that you you have to remember that the NFL, a lot of people don't realize this, but the position on the field where the NFL is the widest variation of grades among their scouting departments because of all these different sub positions and subcategories is wide receiver. There are guys yeah. who some teams have ranked as a second round grade. Other folks have them as a late round draft pick. And then you have to remember, look at Larry Fitzgerald. Okay. Before Kurt Warner, no one, most quarterbacks are trained basically to throw to the open guy. If the guy, it doesn't look open at the top of his stem, even if it's the leverage is somewhat favorable. There was a time that they just wouldn't throw to a guy like that. If he didn't have clear separation, then with the advent of more of the back shoulder plays. And then with the big slots, you know, when Kurt Warner came along, he said, I had to go against everything that I learned as a quarterback to thrive with Larry Fitzgerald, which meant I had to throw the ball to him when he didn't look open. And yeah. that's changed a lot with the NFL. So you have to understand that that's a great example of a, of a quarterback wide receiver relationship, two guys who are, you know, essentially hall of fame caliber players who it, they needed each other to, to really have some peak seasons. I think it's so funny too. You mentioned the name Cooper cup earlier. I always say that like, it's crazy to say this because he just had probably one of the best wide receiver seasons of all time. Right. Like, yeah. but what if Cooper cup had gone to a team that looked at him and was like, okay, height, weight uh some of his agility numbers like i'm gonna throw this guy out as x receiver day one like and he didn't go into this very like almost he was more so like a pure big slot receiver this year like a vertical guy because of the quarterback that unlocked him but you know at different times it's like this guy is like chipping defensive ends before he runs out to the flat and zone coverage you know like doing almost like tight end stuff at times like what if he didn't go to a team like that would we be talking about him you know that as as the cooper cup we know right now probably not and that's like what's so fun about wide receiver specifically yeah without a doubt because i mean I, I somebody asked me this on an on an Eagles related podcast about Cooper Cup and I said listen I had him ranked ninth which again why I hate 
hate rankings because I had him <laughs> as a sleeper. And I and if I gave him this, the same the score that he had is the same score I gave Garrett Wilson this year. And Wilson's my fourth ranked receiver. So and that and he's a first tier receiver on my board. Yeah. So Cooper Cup would have been a first tier receiver in that class. And I drafted him everywhere in fantasy leagues and dynasty leagues because you you, you looked at those metrics and were like, wow. And but the, the thing is, is that he came in at the right time where the league was just starting to open up with the spread offenses and, and, you know, his ability, I know that it may not show up on the metrics level, but one of the things I observed about him is his ability to use various release methodologies to, to win against defensive backs was the best I've ever seen pre-drafted any type of, um, you know, in a lot of ways. And like, they have a drill, like they have a drill that you see at the senior bowl and other events where they put cones five yards apart from each other and put a guy one-on-one with the defender and say, you got to get separation within the first couple of cones and you cannot go outside the cones. And I've watched this drill happen repeatedly over the years in various settings. And very rarely do I see any receiver at that age dominate it. Um, I remember watching Debo Samuel. It took him about five times to actually closely get separation once in in, in that that setting, and he was like the best in his class at that um, <laughs> of that group. I watched Cooper Cup dominate that drill, like, and he did something different every time, and no one touched him, and he never had to go far outside towards the cones. Now that may not show up in what some of the things that he's done you know, in the NFL because he plays in the middle and he gets two way goes a lot. And there's a lot of things with what he does great in zone, but you know, again, it just highlights to you that, yeah, if he was in the Cleveland Browns offense, he probably would not be near the same player based on the quarterback he had in the offense that, that he would have been in compared to what he was doing with the Rams. Doesn't mean that he's any less of a player because if you put Jarvis Landry in the, in the Rams offense, he probably would have been a 100 reception player. Right. Yeah. And, and that's just, again, what's it's not meant to like say, oh, he's not as good as you think or something like that. It's just like, it's a credit to coaching. It's a credit to players. It takes more than just like a great player and a great an ev- evaluation to like nail this stuff sometimes. Well, I think that was a good like 15 minute of table setting there. Let's dive into sort of specifics. Um, and I'm very excited to talk about this running back class with you because I. I don't really care about that running backs, right? Like I'm not watching like any of these guys before they get drafted. I'm spending enough time on a different position, of course, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. So let's talk this running back class. Another one of my favorite things you do in the RSP. And I feel like this is more of a recent addition. You can correct me if I'm wrong, like comparing your board over the last like three classes or something, which I, I got a question today. Like, would you rather have the wide receiver one of this class or would you rather have Jerry Judy? And I think that's like, a great way to to really put your feet to the fire about like how you feel about players. Um, so just kind of with that in mind, obviously you put that in the RSP, like how do you feel about this running back class overall? Is it good? Is it bad? Like how does it kind of compare the last few years? I think it's a good class, but it's a, it's entering a league with a low demand for the position right now. And so it's, yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, not to, not to jump in there, but I just, I just wrote a piece for, for Yahoo, like kind of looking at the needs for every, like every team's running back depth turn. It's like, I mean, like Houston really, really needs a starting back. You could say probably Atlanta, like My, Cordero yeah. Patterson doesn't need to be like a base back, but Everybody else, it's like the need. It, you, you want your favorite fantasy back to land in Houston? Probably not, but like they're going to get a, a ton of carries. So it's a tough spot there. Yeah, it's just tough. I mean, it's a it's one of these classes where I feel like that they stack up well, even at the top of the board to the past two classes. Um, and and there's, I think, a little more depth in the top 10 to top 15 than what we've seen in the past two classes as well, or at least on par or slightly better. And I think a lot of these guys are going to get lost in the shuffle until there's either an injury or suspension or something happens where maybe there's a quick retirement. And then people are going to go, well, where did that guy come from? We had written him off, you know, and I think they, or they could get labeled due to a coaching change and that type of thing. But I think there's, I think there's four to six players in this class who could be starters within the next year or two, and maybe even lead backs, if not um, featured backs. There's a, there's a few that I think have that kind of talent. Um, And then there's some guys in this class. There's a lot of scat back talent who could be really nice contributors. There's a lot of late round guys who, you know, probably from day, you know, uh, round four on who, if they get their shot, they could, they could, 
get a stranglehold on that position, at least long enough for a year or two where maybe they have to look over their shoulder a little bit. But yeah, from what I've seen, they're skilled enough that they might be able to just shut the door on other people if they can build on the first strong year to get them in that into that once they got that opportunity. So I like this class skill-wise, but from a fantasy perspective, you're you're probably you're probably holding and waiting and just and just and just hoping that they get an opportunity, knowing realistically that there's not a lot of open opportunities right now. Right. Like if some team like Buffalo makes that aggressive move, they've they've obviously tried to bring in sort of like a, a scat back type, like a JD McKissick, they try to bring him in, that falls through, they do the Duke Johnson experience. I feel like every dynasty player has had their moment with Duke Johnson. Uh, <laughs> so like the bills are now doing it, trying to do it too. Uh, but if they make an aggressive move for a running back in rounds one or two or something like that, that guy's going to fly up the board because of just the pure landing spot. But like Devin Singletary had a good end of the year. So I don't know. There's again, we'll know a lot more uh, of this stuff in like a couple weeks, but something will come to light here. So let's talk more like specific talents of these guys. To me, there does seem to be like a consensus one to two with Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker kind of tell me about those two guys and like what, what makes their, their game uh, translatable to the NFL level. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think if these guys were in the last year's class or the year before they would have been within, they would have been reasonable conversations to be at the top of the board there too. Um, even with Najee Harris, you know, he, yeah. even with Jonathan Taylor, I would say, you know, you could look back and Brees Hall, is an unbelievable talent in terms of his suddenness. He has an all-around game. He's someone that can make strong cutbacks, but he has that acceleration that when a linebacker has him in dead to rights in the hole and angle, he can kind of teleport past people. And when he decides he's going to run through you, he's got enough of the that power and contact balance to do that too. Um, the thing with him is he can make it look a little too easy sometimes, even back to his recruiting days where he was recruited. I think Chad Ryder, the NFL dot com researcher explained to me that that the that the recruiting staff almost didn't sign him because they thought it he just made it look too easy i mean it was like they were <laughs> they were wondering what was going on here and then they had that brief mcfly moment and decided yeah we're going to sign him um but hall is a guy that has some he reminds me a little bit of matt forte and Lashawn mccoy in terms of two different tracks he can kind of do each one for you the chain quick change of direction creative move track and also the more of the cut back downhill runner who can who can get the tough yards for you. Both of them did that well, but maybe slightly different. He has that gliding speed that doesn't look like he's as fast as he really is. So he's my number one guy. He has a little more downside because he has, some, you know, just minor things that he should fix. Now, if he can't fix them, it's because he's not working hard at it or he right. he's not working smart at it or he thinks he's made it you know and then he and he's he he hasn't gotten that Austin Eckler like work ethic into his game you know all that stuff that we'll never you know we'll never know about until maybe maybe after yeah. the fact right yeah. like we might find that out afterwards but but sometimes you don't and it's yeah. just like this guy flunked for reasons unknown right the the old nfl version of vh1's where are they now type of thing so then you have we did we we really like need like a series like that we need right? to, I, like some of these guys especially for people who evaluate rookies like I, you know, uh, like Laquan Treadwell gets thrown around a lot as a guy that, uh, you know, well, he couldn't get open in college and he didn't get open in the NFL. And like, sure, maybe. But, you know, there are also whispers that like he just didn't work that hard at it. Right. So it's yeah. like, I don't know that we yeah. would be great to know that stuff, but we'll never know that stuff. Exactly. And Kenneth Walker reminds me a lot of the the type of backs that I've kind of compared to the backs I'm comparing them to. I've compared to each other in recent years, which is. J.K. Dobbins and Ray Rice. I mean, they're short, you know, kind of short, but not small, very sudden, electric in terms of change of direction, um, can carry the load for you because they are big enough, very patient backs, really good at both outside runs as well as inside running. Um, decent pass protector, though some people have criticized him for that from what I've seen. His issue is picking up more complex blitz assignments that you just don't expect most running backs in the college level to pick up. But the technique is there for him to build on the baseline techniques that I look at. And for me, baseline techniques isn't, oh, he wants to try and hit and he makes the effort. So that's good enough. I actually do look at how he punches, how he sets up, you know, how he uses his feet to, <laughs> to set up angles, all those little details that that matter. And I think those details are good enough for him to grow from. Um, I think he's the safest of the two backs. 
um, in terms of just the option. May have a little slightly less upside, but if if that's the case, it's it's so minimal that I wouldn't argue with anybody if they picked Walker over Hall or vice versa. Walker, you mentioned Ray Rice is comparable. You know, Ray Rice had, I think, four seasons of 60-plus catches. Uh, that's obviously a weaker point in Kenneth Walker's resume. Um, kind of where do you stand on that point, particularly with him? Sure. You know, I'm one of those guys that, in this case, unless you are doing things that, again, Austin Eckler di- did or does at, at, in with the Chargers, which is running option routes and running intermediate dig routes and things like that, that you don't normally see with running backs. And the way I've done it is I've looked at guys like Melvin Gordon and, and um, Jonathan Taylor and L- Leonard Fournette and have given them good marks as receivers, because what I'm looking for is the basic routes and hand-eye coordination. And even if they only have a handful of plays over the four years that I study them that show it, I can put the pen down and say I'm satisfied because there are certain plays that you can say when you see Melvin Gordon make a back shoulder catch on a seam route like with a linebacker nailing him in the chest and he uses his hands correctly and he turns in everyone's position correctly to avoid, you know, to avoid the other defender that was going to knock the ball out. I don't need to see him that much more, you know, other than that he's that he that he continues to catch the ball technically sound in the few chances he gets. Same thing with Leonard Fournette. Same thing I've seen with Kenneth Walker. He catches the ball fine. He just isn't used a lot. So if a team decides to use him, he'll be fine in that respect. If they don't, then it's just, it's going to be about landing spot, but I know he can do it. Yeah. I think that is always the, another tough part with rookie evaluation is were they just not asked to do it because they can't do it or were they just not asked to do it because the coach doesn't want to use them more that way, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Isaiah Spiller and Brian Robinson are also in your first tier of backs. Uh, Spiller has not had a good, uh, pre-draft process uh, <laughs> and Brian Robinson does seem like a pretty decent sleeper uh, so talk to me about these two guys too sure Spiller is interesting because I mean again I don't do like soap opera rankings and I, that's my my joke for what I call them you know most people in, in our in our media community of course they want to keep people up to date about what's going on with players so they have to update rankings and I call them soap opera rankings because it keeps you you know basically your eyes peeled to the next drama of who's moving up and who's moving down but so (laughs) behind the scenes I was it took me a while to warm up the Spillers game because what I had seen initially was a guy whose pads weren't aligned with his hips very well so then he'd he'd have head-on collisions with defensive backs who are 185 pounds and lose them and fall backwards because he wasn't aligned with his... And I'm thinking for a 270-pound back, that's not all that great. And then I'd see him miss angles where he would misread or miss um, make bad decisions with counterplays. And while counterplays, their gap-style plays, we often see associated with the Washington Commanders way back in the day, um, you know, in terms of a staple of running play, we don't see a lot of counter in the NFL anymore. Mostly we see zone plays where you make, it's more filling the, it's more of a multiple choice of opportunities, whereas with gap plays are more filling the blank. But when you don't fill in the blank correctly as a gap runner, um, because you think you can out-athlete people, and, you know, I'm sad to say this, but, you know, there his cousin, I believe it was his cousin who CJ, I believe who was, um, who also had some issues with, uh, was going to get so many carries. He was going to puke or whatever, you know, uh, with had, yeah, he had some of those issues as well. He just, he tried out athlete people and he was a fantastic athlete, but that doesn't work in the NFL. So Spiller has some of these issues, but he's a very good zone runner. Most likely will get matched up in an outside zone. He has terrific footwork and his, he's worked on that for years um, I've known I've known that he's looked at tutelage since high school. Um, his his uh, his tutor is the footwork king and the footwork king is a guy who operates out of Houston, has trained a lot of NFL players and around CJ Spiller at high school. He he texted me one time and said on Instagram and said, I show your videos on running, breaking down running backs to my high school students. And one of his students was Isaiah Spiller. So nice. when you look at the speed. You look at the speed, it's not that great, but neither was, um, you know, neither was Arian Foster, but he had great footwork too. And he, and the burst is good enough. The power is good enough. It's just a matter of, of decision-making for Spiller more than anything else. And it's more about maturing as a decision-maker. If he does that, I see him as more of an aspiring Ryan Matthews at Ryan Matthews' best, or way back in the day, Deuce McAllister, the Saints running back, who was an all-around pass catcher runner big guy who could break big plays even though you know you may look at them and 
you know, may look at Spiller and say, ah, he's, he's not unbelievably fast, but Foster broke plays too. And he wasn't fast. So I'm good with what oh, he yeah. can do. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I liked both those comps a lot. Really. I mean, Aaron Foster was such an awesome player back in the day. Uh, yeah. I mean, then obviously Deuce McAllister was even more so back in the day. So both those comps are good. That makes a lot of sense to me. Running back's funny too, because obviously we talked about it as a position that, um, you know, it's not that valuable, blah, blah, blah. But like running backs got a thin margin for error, man. Like coaches get pissed at running backs. I'm like, shoot, it is over. Uh, so like it's it's a it's a fascinating position with especially when it comes to that decision making part of it. Let's go out on a limb here. Okay. Talk to me about one overrated guy from this running back class and one underrated guy from this running back class before we move to the next position. Sure. And I'll just say Brian Robinson, he deserves credit for for even though he's been kind of on the back of the depth chart with Alabama being five deep with great players. He, he reminds me of a guy like Larry Johnson, the, the old Chiefs back, in terms of power. Mm. He runs with power and understands how to use it. A guy who I think is overrated in this class is Rashad White. Um, Rashad White, to me, everyone loves that he can catch the ball. You know, on the surface level of evaluation, you see a guy who's six feet, 214 pounds, has speed, 448 speed, 38-inch vertical jump, and he can he can catch the ball. He has really good hand-eye coordination. But he also, when he, you know, as a running back, when you enter a crease and the crease is open and there's a linebacker or safety waiting on the other side of it and they're on their heels, they're not running at you, they're just standing there, that's a, that's a matchup advantage for the running back. If you don't run downhill and try and either put a move on that guy or just lower your pads to get the four or five yards, there's a problem. Rashad White hasn't seen that situation and taken it since since watching him. And there's a little Darren McFadden to him that I'm not a big fan of. Um, So a little Darren McFadden, a little Kalen Balazs, a little bit of that kind of thing going on where people get a little too excited. I think if he gains the wisdom, he can become a starter and a good one. But I'm I think that the idea that he's a top 10 back in this class is a little too rich for my blood at this point. Um, a guy that I think is underrated in this class, there's a lot of them, but there's a guy that I just don't think gets a lot of talk, and he is Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers. I like him. You know, he has the same hand-eye coordination that I think, you know, I've seen Rashad White be credited with. He's very good at that. He can run gap or zone. He played in an awful offense in terms of just the offensive line when you have to check your watch to see when the pulling guard is going to get around the center um and then you have to decide that you're gonna you're gonna decide that you're like okay i either violate the tenant of this play and just try and get some yards or i get planted on my behind in the backfield you know people are not going to credit you for um for the decisions that you made but i remember matt forte had that same issue at tulane when they played an lsu team that could outlift Every player on the LSU team could outlift every player on the offensive line on Tulane except for one guy. One guy on LSU, and that was like a special teamer on LSU, not even a starter. And so, you know, watching a guy like Forte get planted like that and have to be creative and make decisions won me over. Pacheco, I think, is a much better player than people realize, and I wouldn't be surprised if he works his way to becoming more of like, at worst, He's what Kylan Hill was before he got hurt and showed well in Packers camp early on. At best, I think he could be an aspiring Cam Akers. Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part about running back, right? Is like these guys move so quickly up depth charts, up, down, up, down. And like, you know, everybody's always looking for like that next out of nowhere guy. So I think that's a really good name uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Like, again, running back, it comes back to like if a guy like White takes to coaching really quickly and like get you know like get you know getting coached hard and like no hit that you know hit that hit that like you know push that guy right like or you know he could he could turn around right but like it's just we never know or or like a good example is trey sermon and elijah mitchell okay elijah you know elijah mitchell is a speedster who doesn't have great feet doesn't have great contact balance really doesn't have great decision making but when you have when you have george kittle um you know, Kyle used check you, those two receivers that they have who can block. Oh, and Trent Williams. Oh, yeah. And you decide you're just going to run outside zone and toss plays all day. And you just clear the road with those guys. Um, You just need speed. And so for yeah. their system, they just wanted speed. The nuance guy is sermon, but they don't need that. They want the speed. And they basically said, I basically have heard that to that extent that it's all about, 
then for them, it's all about the speed because, and again, if, if you have that kind of trio, that's what, that's what sets the table for you. So, you know, if, you know, they, even if I think they're having McDonald's on like fine China in terms of running back play, <laughs> uh, McDonald's is very filling, you know, and yeah, it can, get be, the job and it done. can be pretty tasty and get the job done. And if you're having it while you're drinking water out of water for crystal and some fine bone China, then, you know, Hey, that can be kind of fun and funky, even if it's, if it's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, again, the asset management part of it, right? Like the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan trade up for Trey Sermon. And I'm not saying this because like, I mean, uh, I told a lot of people to draft Trey Sermon last year. I draft a lot of Trey Sermon last year. It's like that. Well, like, oh, I know well, someone they who rated him number one overall. I, you know, <laughs> right. and, you I don't know, know who that is. I, I know uh, who but, that you is. Know. <laughs> I'd do it again. But yeah, there we go. But it's, but it's funny because like, they trade up for Trey Sermon, and then, you know, obviously it's like, wow, shoot, Kyle Shanahan loves this guy. But, like, then they get into camp, and like you said, we've got these two receivers that block their asses off. George Kittle blocks his ass off. They can create these big-ass lanes for uh, Elijah Mitchell with all the speed that Trey Sermon doesn't have. Well, you can – it's like, well, the trade-up be damned. Like, they don't care about that anymore. They're trying to win games. So, we know, and again, it's hard to know that stuff. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, in my pre-draft, I put worst-case scenario for Trey Sermon was San Francisco 49ers and post draft. I saw they oh, traded God. up for him and I was like, okay, maybe I'll go. Oh, here that. Go. And I won't put him. I won't move him as far down as I should have, you know? Um, so the, I just was, I, that was like that Lucy Charlie Brown football moment. You know, I felt like where they're like worst case scenario. Oh, but they traded up to get him and look at yeah, the contracts exactly. on that depth chart, you know? And yeah, I whiffed on that one, at least for fantasy players year one, but, but, I, you know, maybe he gets traded and we'll see what happens from down the line. We will see what happens. All right, let's move to wide receivers. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, this this will be fun. All right, so we'll talk <laughs> wide receivers here. Yeah, enough of this running back stuff. Okay, so um, you've got Drake London, Chris Olave as your top two. I, I mean, we haven't always been lockstep with receivers the last few years. This year, I really feel like we're actually in a pretty good path here with, with how we view this class and the guys specifically in this class. Um I really like Drake London, really like Chris Olave. Um, Garrett Wilson, I, I think, is in their tier. Uh, I think he's that type of player. But um, you sound like you've got some concerns with his game. So let's hash those out. Sure. And they're not huge. I mean, he's at the top of my second tier. And I almost put him in the first tier. But, you know, based on how my scores um, rate out, he's just on the border of being an immediate starter. But most contrib- most rotational starters wind up day one starters in, in with my yeah. grade. The thing about him is that he has, you know, the speed, the open field skills, the raw athletic ability is fantastic. He makes some difficult catches. He can earn separation with all the tools that he has, but there are small things that separate to me what he is right now and what he could be. And part of that is, is that I, I use Marquise Lee as a great example because I, I look at Garrett Wilson oh, and Chris God. Olave as kind of like a Marquise <laughs> Lee, Robert Woods, like they came from the same school kind of tandem. And then let's just pretend that, you know, well, I won't even go into James Wilson Williams, but let's say that with Garrett Wilson, Garrett Will, like Marquise Lee, Marquise Lee was the type of guy that leaned a little, some little more on his athletic ability to the point that he tried that he always leaned on it to the point where like maybe after the catch, when he would transition downhill Lee and Wilson have the same trait, which is they'll see a five yard lane that they can get on a third and seven um, where they, you know, that they can get downhill after a five yard catch and easily get the first down. They might have to take a hit or get under a hit, but they get the first down. And instead of taking that and transition downhill immediately, hoping you can break a tackle and maybe get more. And at worst you get the first down, he's going to veer off, towards defenders hoping he can outrun them to the edge to get a 70 yard gain and you can't do that in the nfl again is it a major issue no it's not like i've dropped him down the 40 on my list right fourth on my list but he but that's a small thing against him because again in the nfl at some point a coach is going to yell at him and go dude if you do keep doing this you're not going to be one of our top two receivers we're going to put you in a rotation where we can put some guardrails around you um the other thing is that i that when he's separating, he's a little too wild with his moves to the point that I, what I saw were patient when patient physical corners matched up against him, 
they could outweigh him enough for him to declare his move and then they could shut him down at the boundary. Um, so while he may separate well statistically, I felt like in the situations that project to the NFL, he has to he has a little more work to do to get there. I think he could do it, but it's but it's a matter of the the acclimation. And then the third thing is catching the football. While as you've stated very well, catching drops are not a sticky stat. Um, what the difference between top players and, you know, and, and guys who are good, just solid starters oftentimes is, can they make the clutch catches? Can they right. make the plays in tight coverage and contest situations? He does so at Ohio State, but what I notice is that he claps onto the ball a lot. Yeah, that, yeah, he's a clapper. He's a clapper for sure. And the problem with that, too, is that even though he comes down with it sometimes when he, when he does it, he still looks like he's like, I got the math problem, right? Like he, you could tell he's You're like, Oh, I did it. it. <laughs> I did it. And he's holding it away from his chest. And meanwhile, there's a defender in the area where like, maybe the Michigan defender was clueless about like, he, he was looking at him going, yeah, you did it too. As opposed to a, as opposed to a, you know, a venerable NFL cornerback who's going to bat it down as soon as Garrett Wilson has that look on his face. Like I did, he's going to go, no, you don't you know, and, and just smile as he bats it away because Wilson's still like staring at it rather than securing it. So those three things together um, are really the crux of the issue for me that lower him into that second tier. Still, if someone took him in the first tier because they feel like those things are going to, he's going to be able to grow and like say he went to New Orleans and Michael Thomas is still going to be there and yeah. he can serve as a mentor in terms of route running and, and uh, making things efficient, sky's the limit. Yeah, I would say he's not like an elite separator, which is you highlighted some of the he's a really good one, but not an elite one, you know, at the college level, which is, I think, uh, some of the issues you highlighted there, um, you know, in a weird way. And, and I, again, I think all of these issues were why for me, why he might be behind. Drake London and Chris Olave instead of number one ahead of those guys some of the the kind of nits that you can pick there which as you said like he's still fourth on your board like these are like nits we're picking here and you know trying to get different differentiate between tier one and tier two to me honestly and I and I love this player and I've gone to bat for this player the last two years so when I say this I don't mean to like this is a compliment but in a, a lot of ways he reminds me of Deontay Johnson and like you yeah. got like you're you get open you know you you get separation versus man coverage zone coverage like you can get off the line of scrimmage like and you can make some tough catches like Garrett Wilson makes some tough yeah. catches Deontay Johnson makes some tough catches but there are moments where Deontay Johnson you get you know makes boneheaded decisions in the open field even though I think he's a great yak player and Garrett Wilson is definitely a great yak player they make boneheaded decisions at the at times and obviously there's been the drops with Deontay Johnson too even though he makes those tough catches so in a weird way I feel like it's like the good and bad and I believe in both players long term and Agreed. in the current moment but I, I think that for, for like that's a way to kind of you know set like there are there are things holding Deontay Johnson back from being a superstar receiver, even right. though I think he is a very, very good wide receiver. And there are things that I think could hold Garrett Wilson back from being a superstar receiver, even though I think he's a very good receiver. Couldn't agree more. Uh, all right, let's talk. Let's quickly hit on Drake London and Chris Olave. I, t I know I talked a lot about them on, on last pod, but Drake London, Matt Waldman, can Drake London get open? Heck yeah, he can get open. I mean, can Michael John Michael Thomas get open? Can Juju Smith Schuster get open? Can you know Larry could Larry Fitzgerald get open for years and years? The Frank Gore of wide receivers, absolutely yeah, right. You know, so Drake London kind of reminds you of Brandon Marshall too. Just another name to throw out there, yeah. like and you know similar like be, you know beating man coverage ability, you know, and and kind of zone coverage as well. I mean, you could have asked, did this could T Higgins get open? Because I don't yeah. think he's that far away from T. Higgins in terms of what, what you have there. He may not be your primary 1A guy who's going to blow the top off of a defense as a split end, but you can put him as your big slot. You can make him a, a big split end or a flanker, and you can use him in situations where he's going to win. You don't just win vertically by separation vertically down the field. You also win above the rim. You also win from, you know, outside to the sideline you know where you make the late changes of direction yep he wins the ball in tight coverage he's physical he's physical as a blocker he's physical as a runner his routes are good enough he has enough bend to make the hard breaks so he can run a, a enough routes in the route tree that you're not going to say he's a limited guy like i like michael Pittman, but i think he's a limited guy who does really well in a certain position whereas i think drake london is a little more is more than that He's a he's a he's the next iteration away uh, above Michael Pittman, if you ask me. More of a Mike Williams, and maybe even closer, like I said, to a 
you know, to uh, I'm trying the receiver. Oh, Higgins, T. Higgins, right there. Yeah. I had a little bit of brain fart with that. <laughs> it's a lot of names. There's a lot of names. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like Drake London. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan, and obviously Chris Olave. Just I, like that's my type of receiver, man. He's gonna get open. He's gonna. Yeah. But he's a ball winner too. Like he's a really good ball tracker. I think he's just obviously not a yak player, but man, I mean, just so explosive downfield. Gets off press. I mean, he. I just think he's gonna be like a day one starter just please god don't yeah. go to like the texans at 13 like let's get him to one of these teams in the late first round that need a, like a day one starter at wide receiver now see i was a little bit of a davis mills fan so i had him above zach wilson and as my fifth quarterback last year fair. so i think there's fair, some fair, things fair enough but <laughs> but i'm but i'm with you i understand i'd like to see chris olave in green bay like that would yeah. be the ultimate thing in terms of like his opportunity because yeah he can play all three positions for you i think he's he's the robert woods to garrett wilson's marquise lee in terms of you know the the contrast between the two lee could have been good without injuries if you know and all other things we talked about but with olave you know you get a deep threat you get a guy who can do good enough after the catch you get you know he wins after he he wins at the line of scrimmage he's just an all-around good football player who tracks the ball unbelievably well yeah, like he's just tracker. very underrated in, in in ball tracking so for for me yes i mean olave he was not as high as jamar chase and jalen waddle were on my board last year but those were all-time scores for me um but yeah. he's almost in that 90 tier almost in that 90 tier which is franchise player um he's not far off of that yeah, I don't think any of these guys, and I, I would put Devontae Smith for me, I know, a little bit lower for you, but I would put him ahead of everybody in this class. And I, definitely Jamar Chase and definitely Jalen Waddle and like a CD Lamb from a couple years ago, yes. I think is ahead of these guys as well. Um, So, okay. Uh, I, I like just one last point on Olave too. Like, I, I'm not comparing him to this player, but, you know, remember back in 2014 when like Sammy Watkins went first off the board, Mike Evans went first off the board, and like obviously Odell Beckham was the third guy off the board, but man he could have easily had the best career of all those guys were it not for injuries. I wouldn't be surprised if Olave has a better career than London and Wilson, though I expect both those guys to go ahead of him. Yeah, I have Ocho Cinco as his comp. I have Ocho Yeah, Cinco. and there were, there were like Ocho Cinco vibes to uh, Odell Beckham's game back at yes. LSU too. So it's all kind of similar uh, lens of players there. Um, all right, let's move out of some names that are outside of the consensus top five. And let's, I want to get your heat check on Christian Watson because he's sometimes he kind of reminds me of Martavis Bryant when I watch him. Other times I'm like, I don't really know what I'm watching here with Christian, Christian Watson. So uh, like talk to me about him a little bit. Man, you must have been reading this thing and laughing going, we really are on the same page this year because that's <laughs> know, the, yeah. that was the immediate aspirational comp on my spectrum was Martavis Bryant. Um, and then I have Javon Walker as kind of the upside when Walker w had his great year. But to me, he's too, too old for me, man. Come yeah, on. see, there you go. And that's that's what happened. <laughs> just because just because I've got lower back here, problems so, but, now does not but, mean does not mean that I know I can give you all Javon, Javon Walker's reception perception off the top of my head. See, there you go. But uh, listen, he's tall. He's agile, fast. I think that he can add another 10 to 12 pounds um, with his frame. And he's already, you know, very fast and explosive from what we can see. I think his experience as a route runner, a pro style offense really gives him a sound technical foundation to build on. You know, I think the releases, setups and breaks, they all got to get better with his game. But he understands how to get the favorable leverage you need to get separation against the defender. So if you already know how to do that and you're showing signs of that, it's just about putting the details together. So I think that it's unlike some guys who are raw athletes who don't even have a clue, but they catch the ball. Well, you know, he yeah. catches the ball. Well, has a clue, ha has played in an, enough of an offense. It's not going to make his head spin when he gets to the NFL. Um, but his hands technique at the catch point, he can be a bit of a clapper, um, you know, and have some issues with, high level tracking where he's very good at but sometimes he has lapses where um you know he has to rework where he has his has his hands but he's graceful he's great in the open field he has got a punt runner yeah. turner's mentality um i love him i think he's if if a team picked him in the first round well i think that's a little high for him i wouldn't be shocked at all i have him sixth on my board and and i'm i'm quite happy with thinking that he's going to be a future starter if not a future top 15 receiver at least in his peak years if he has a good landing spot yeah that landing spot i think is going to be crucial in kind of deciding what's going to happen with christian watson so i, I like a lot of your thoughts there Jahan dotson 
I really like this guy. Big fan. Love the way he gets open against zone coverage. You know, I thought I felt bad for Drake London because his quarterback play sucked. And then I watched Jahan <laughs> Dotson and God almighty. I mean, this like a little guy too has got to adjust consistently to off target throws. Um, I mean, there are games he could have had like 200 plus yards if his quarterback could hit him on a deep post for one for God. Time, for one time man it was it was tough to watch but really like him tough player uh i think he again finds ways to get open and it looks like a guy that at his peak he could be like a really reliable player even if he's not a future like star receiver I agree completely and i think he can start out in the slot for you because he works over the middle well he has a little bit of issue with tracking targets in this one weird specific way where like where he has to extend his arms out towards a ball that's leading him in the middle of the field. He waits till the latest window and ends up catching the ball over his head or into his body or even behind him that can lead to drops. But he has excellent route running techniques and skills. He can play outside for you. He reminds me a lot of T.Y. Hilton. And I think of Hilton as a good but not great, maybe an underrated top-tier receiver in a lot of respects. Very tough similar size they could start off in the slot but then grow into being an outside type of player and you know with his savvy as a route runner i wouldn't put it past him yeah i wrote down doug baldwin as, as a love for him like which i think again savvy gets open knows what he's doing in the middle of the field and just like a reliable guy who um you know not that russell wilson was a bad quarterback but t- uh, doug baldwin was great at adjusting to Russell Wilson when he was running off script and stuff like that. For sure. Um, so again, sort of made me think of him in that way. Uh, George Pickens, it kind of sounds like we have some of the same concerns. You mentioned T Higgins earlier. Sometimes I feel like I'm, oh man, like this guy could be T Higgins, George Pickens. And sometimes like this guy could be Dante Moncrief, a, a player I really fell for at different times and it didn't work out. So uh, where are we at with George Pickens? A guy that people do think like maybe could sneak into late round one to probably more of a round two guy. This is the difference between, I think people who, are football analysts who dabble in the draft and people who like do some granular work on studying a player. Now, what the, the problem is, is that difference may get blended in um, and fuzzy if George Pickens just works at his game and develops and becomes really good because then yeah. it'll just give validation to the folks who are dabbling in this come see i got it right um <laughs> where, you know which is fine but when you're talking about the details of George Pickens game you have to understand that people see the highlights they see the adjustments to the ball the length of his game the ability to to make these diving catches the hand eye coordination the speed the ability to you know the blocking ability that people have all the things you could go onto a youtube high cut highlight cut up and just you know drool over but the problem is is that when you start looking at the techniques that make a good receiver one of the things is is earning position at the catch point and how you earn that position um because you can make your job either a lot easier or a lot more difficult based on how well you earn position and when i see him in these situations you look at jamar chase jamar chase is a perfect example when he jumps back towards the ball he jumps straight up in the air he times his jump early enough so that he can get his back to a defensive back and make the catch the defender has to play through him to get to the ball and can't do it george pickens on the other hand is like a lot of these tall lift receivers that we see come into the league with a great athletic ability but lacking some technique where they jump up but they jump late and therefore they have to lean back towards the ball because they're late with their jump and now they've opened up their chest to the defender who's behind them. The defender can, um, you know, knock away the ball. Or now they have to make a crazier adjustment on the ball to win it. And while Pickens has done that and shown it yeah. and it looks great, he's making his job tougher and he's going to be dealing with defensive backs who are much better than what we're seeing him face at the iteration they are. Again, and if you say, well, wait, he did this against, you know, X, X quarter, who's now a great player in the NFL. Well, let's just put it to you this way. Daryl Singletary, yeah, Daryl Singletary, um, Devin, uh, Devin Singletary, Singletary, not yeah, not Daryl. Yeah. No, I'm I'm but I'm Devin, up. Yeah. Devin Singletary, Devin Singletary is running yeah. back. Whatever. Yeah, Devin <laughs> Devin Singletary. Yeah, or Singletary, Singletary now and Singletary after three years of training in the NFL are two different players. Okay, just in terms of savvy, understanding, technique, consistency, and so. But when you project to that, him facing these types of defenders. There's just a lot of details in his miss, game missing with releases, with setting up his position, with using his hands in the right way. To, and so the, the alpha level type of catches he makes here 
are really more beta level catches if he doesn't fix these techniques or beta level efforts that 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 aren't going to work out very well for him. So I'm, you know, I like his upside, but I think he's much more of there's two guys I've compared to Kenny Galladay um, in this draft class and Pickens is the lower of the two on the board who I, I look at as if you give them two good receivers on either side, let them have those plumb matchups in the middle of the field on the deep range against corners and defense nickelbacks. He's going to look great. And fantasy people are going to drool over him and say, I told yeah. you so. But if you put him on the outside and move him to the New York Giants and ask him to play with a guy like Daniel Jones, he's not going to transcend the setting that he's in and yeah. or rise to the demand. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair uh, way to look at it. All right. Uh, last guy I want to talk about before I have you go out on a limb on these wide receivers, because, of course, I'm, I'm running long here and I'm, I'm trying not to run too long. Sky Moore, you've got him at wide receiver 11. Uh, I'm closer to like six or seven. I, I really like him. Um, I know Golden Tate is a popular comp. Uh, I kind of think he's got he shows some really it's not like consistent. I think he, he shows some really good ability to release off the line of scrimmage on certain routes and beat man coverage the way I think he could. And, and DJ Moore is a guy that I think took a while to develop into this guy. And frankly, like there are times where I like when I talked to DJ Moore, when he came into the league, I, I said like, I kind of, you remind me of golden Tate too. So like there are again, sort of like a similar player here, even though DJ Moore has become more than more than that. There's a lot of more going on here too. I think DJ Moore has become more than that. And some, but sometimes like, man, he'd be better off if like DJ Moore, if they just used him in the slot. So what, where do you at with sky Moore and like sort of where he might be best positioned in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I like him enough. I have him as a rotational starter, which means that he could contribute right now. So he's definitely fantasy worthy as a guy you want to draft. Yeah. Um, but I like, I think the raw skills are there to develop into that, in that the press release and the route techniques, the suddenness of his breaks, the width of his hands at the catch point can get too wide when he's using underhand technique or with targets away from his frame. So he's got to shore a little, a lot of little things up um, and he can be, he has lapses where I guess, you know, for me, I can see him as a slot receiver. He, I don't think he's ever going to be as explosive or as brilliant as Antonio Brown, but he's a little more linear to me, like a Lee Evans in Buffalo way back mm. in the day. I'm giving you old guys again, but like, you know, <laughs> um, I think of, yeah, but I think more, I see DJ Moore in, in that scenario. I just think DJ Moore is a little bit more explosive and a little more well-rounded and, and kind of felt that way about him. But Sky Moore does a great job of some contested plays, winning one-on-one. -on -one. I just don't think, I think the the way he won after the catch is going to not look as strong or yeah. transcend as well as it did in, you know, in the conference that he was in. Yeah, that was like my least favorite part about him uh, after the catch, which is ironic based on what I had heard going into into yeah, charting him. So, yeah, it's, it's funny that way. All right. So let's go out on a limb here. Uh, one overrated, one underrated guy at the wide receiver position. Absolutely. Um, you know, overrated. Whew, you know, I'm going to say Traylon Burks just because um, yeah. I think the, the system's right. The fits. If the system and the fit are right, then yes. He can be successful for you, but he doesn't have a clue against press man coverage. Um, no. when, when people put lever, when people play off him and get in the lane of where he needs to break, he just thinks that he needs to run through them. He doesn't seem to understand how to use finesse moves to work that, you know, the great Matt Bowen over at ESPN did a really nice job of saying he has the tools to become good at press coverage. Yes, the tools are there, but he doesn't have a blueprint yet. And so when you watch him, work there some things with tracking the ball with his hands and contested situations and positioning can be a little bit better but he's not as big as you think he's not as strong as you think he's not as fast as you think and to to say that he's Debo Samuel is an insult to Debo Samuel I think yeah, again yeah. he's the other Kenny Galladay guy they me. tried to use him like Debo Samuel and they did use him like Debo Samuel sort of in college but like I mean, big whoop. It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, There's a lot of guys like Debo Samuel in yeah. college. If you can, good good luck doing that in the pro. The guy I think is underrated who reminds me of Deontay Johnson um, is Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. Mm. I'm a big fan of his. He has some issues with drops, so he's a ball clapper sometimes. But he's also one of those guys that makes unbelievable adjustments to the football. He's tough. He can take contact in the middle of the field. He transitions downhill fast. He's a stealer receiver like in terms of like mold emmanuel sanders heinz ward 
Juju, Deontay, get downhill. If you need to make, if you can make a guy miss, great. But I'm going to run you over if I have to. Even if I'm smaller, I'm going to finish strong. And he runs decent routes that I think are only going to get better. And he's quick enough, fast enough to grow into that type of role. I think he's underrated. I have him just below Sky Moore on my board. And it's really so close that they're essentially tied. Yeah, we're like kind of lockstep on the whole Traylon Burks thing. He doesn't remind me. Of, by the way, he doesn't remind me of AJ Brown in college at all either. That's like no. purely a size. Yeah, no. I mean, no. and I know, and I know AJ Brown lined up as a slot receiver in college, but like you could see AJ Brown win against press man coverage outside in yes. college plenty of times. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I think th- I think Traylon Burks could end up becoming like a Juju Smith-Schuster type of receiver in the way that he's used in yes. the NFL. Yes. But. Uh, that's not yeah i mean that's not aj brown it's not debo samuel so that's like yeah he has a yeah yeah his grade is good enough that you have to consider him in fantasy but if you're gonna take him in a pre-nfl draft fantasy league you do not want to be taking him in your top five you're 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 picking a lottery ticket afterwards you might be wishing it so if you if you like the gamble go for it but otherwise no Part of me, it's so funny, too, because he's a tough player to find a landing spot for because, again, it is very landing spot sensitive, I think, with him. Um, Part of me is like, man, you know, in Green Bay's system, like they love they could really use a guy like that. You know, Adams, you know, Adams is the best receiver in football, but like they used him as a slot sometimes. I think Traylon Burks needs to line up in the slot like they love to get these guys in motion. And, you know, he could be like sort of an upgrade on the power slot from Alan Lazard. But then other times like God, Aaron Rodgers is going to hate (laughs) with Traylon Burks so I go back and forth I want to see Alex Pierce there he's another underrated guy to me I like Alex oh yeah I just started working on Alex Pierce yeah he's he's an interesting player all right so last thing I want to talk about here and we can be kind of quick on this we talked about your rankings um your rankings of quarterback are real interesting if you've been following the draft process but I think again it's just the hammer here to what this class looks like you know it's just a confounding class when you kind of consume draft media and like these guys are trying we're trying to push these guys up the board so what's your approach to this quarterback class both like as an nfl evaluator and then as like trying to give people fantasy advice with this class fantasy advice for this class is don't draft a quarterback this year until like at least the second round in the two quarterback league just take the guy who drops to you and hope for the best there um and stock up on wide receiver and running back talent um you know because really these guys are going to go off the board probably too early and a lot of them are going to be put in difficult situations and this this class is exposing from an evaluator's perspective all the different ways the systemic ways that people evaluate the position and it's the most difficult position to evaluate. Um, And a lot of it is born for NFL people out of the desperation of drafting a guy in the first round, if they show any kind of um, semblance of an empty vessel to fill, but they don't understand how to fill that vessel or don't realize that that vessel can't be filled if it's already empty at this stage of their games. So yeah, my rankings are fascinating that way. And, you know, I've been this way before where, you know, I had Patrick Mahomes, number one, I've had Russell Wilson high on my boards in the past. You know, I've had my share of screw-ups. I've had um, the kid out of West Virginia, Greer, as a number two, I think, on my board at one point, you know. Um, And just, you know, and there's some things below the iceberg, too. We can talk about that. But when I look at this class, you know, the, the guys in the realistic tier, to me, are Matt Corral may be the one with the less, the least system match to the NFL. But he has the skill sets to, to, to fuse together the mental, the physical, the intuitive, and the technical into making plays that I think will translate to the NFL as long as he winds up in a decent situation to build on. I love Carson Strong's game. Some people hate him. And I talk to lots of people who, have scout, who are scouts, and they go, I'm on the same page with you with, say, Skylar Thompson, who's in my, quote, anomaly tier. Because if you've never heard of Skylar Thompson, it's okay. A lot of people haven't. He's my number one quarterback this year out of out of Kansas State, um, who lit up the Manning Academy this year. Um, but because he played in the Carson Wentz Trey Lance offense that was brought over to Kansas State, which is a great offense to actually get this pure West Coast offense, he doesn't throw the ball as much. But yeah. he he dismantled LSU. He dismantled the Texas team two years ago that took LSU's Joe Burrow team to the brink. He nearly won that game if his wide receiver didn't drop a football in the end zone. I mean, like, he he scored extremely high. But you look at these players, and it's like, I talk to different scouts and different people, and they're like, 
everybody's different on every player. So it's to, to me, it, for me, the way I study the position, it's about that, that quarterback is a highly intuitive processing game. You can't look at Baker Mayfield's numbers and go, well, the data, the accuracy data is great. Well, there's not enough context in that. And that's why he looked like Jeff Garcia to me, you know, and then when you take yeah. a look at a guy, but then you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes and people go, oh, he's too wild. And I go, no, if you look at the, if you look at the data from the film, what you see is a guy who makes daring decisions but they're logical decisions. And when, and doesn't mean I always get them right. That's for sure. But like, you know, strong to me, Matt Corral, Skylar Thompson, that means draft a quarterback late. If you're going to do yeah. it at all, otherwise just take it as an off year. And if they succeed, whatever, you've got more stockpile wide receiver talent. And if you hit on those stockpile players, you can trade for any quarterback you want. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. It's just a tough year to really get attached to one of these quarterbacks, like if you need one in a super flex league or something uh, like that. All right, Waldman, tell the people where they can find uh, the RSP and everything that you've got going on. Sure. MattWaldmanRSP.com is where you can find my site. You can find me on YouTube at Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room. I have over 500 videos uh, with, you know, doing work with other players, with consultants, with guys like Matt Harmon. And, you know, well, there aren't many guys like Matt Harmon, but Matt Harmon and a bunch of other yeah. guys who are, are pretty good. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and then also you can find my, if you just want to buy the book, you just like, I'm sold, whatever, I want to get it. You can go to mattwaldman.com and, and pre-order the RSP. You get the pre-draft, post-draft. I also do rankings and projections. That's a separate package that I do throughout the year for Dynasty. Um, so you can check that out, and that's available for $24.95. And again, you know, donate to a good cause, up to $5,000 each year. We'll be doing it again this year extremely thorough product like you're not going to find anything with this much detail anywhere else so uh definitely get out there and purchase it and challenge yourself too with your own thoughts that's what i always love to do when reading matt waldman's work so that's going to do it for this episode you can follow me on twitter at matt Harmon underscore byb you can follow you know there's a ton of mats in this industry uh you can follow the other one i've got with me here today at matt waldman on twitter and while you're there of course make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Liz and Eric Edholm will be back with the rookie snapshots from some of their favorite wide receiver prospects on Thursday's episode. You can't possibly ever have enough wide receiver talk, people. But until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.